Part 4, Proposition 66 to 70 of The Ethics by Spinoza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by OK. The Ethics by Benedict de Spinoza. Translated by R. H. M. Elways. Part 4, Proposition 66 to 70. Proposition 66. We may, under the guidance of reason, seek a greater good in the future in preference to a lesser good in the present, and we may seek a lesser evil in the present in preference to a greater evil in the future. Proof. If the mind could have an adequate knowledge of things future, it would be affected towards what is future, in the same way as towards what is present. Part 4, Proposition 62. Wherefore, looking merely to reason, as in this proposition we are assumed to do, there is no difference whether the greater good or evil be assumed as present or assumed as future. Hence, by Part 4, Proposition 65, we may seek a greater good in the future in preference to a lesser good in the present and we may seek a lesser evil in the present, in preference to a greater evil in the future. Quod erat demonstrandum. Corollary. We may, under the guidance of reason, seek a lesser evil in the present, because it is the cause of a greater good in the future, and we may shun a lesser good in the present, because it is the cause of a greater evil in the future. This corollary is related to the foregoing proposition as the corollary to Part 4, Proposition 65, is related to the said, Part 4, Proposition 65. Note, if these statements be compared with what we have pointed out concerning the strength of the emotions in this part up to Proposition 18, we shall readily see the difference between a man who is led solely by emotion or opinion, and a man who is led by reason. The former, whether will or no, performs actions whereof he is utterly ignorant. The latter is his own master, and only performs such actions as he knows are of primary importance in life, and therefore chiefly desires. Wherefore I call the former a slave, and the latter a free man, concerning whose disposition and manner of life it will be well to make a few observations. Proposition 67. A free man thinks of death least of all things, and his wisdom is a meditation not of death, but of life. Proof. A free man is one who lives under the guidance of reason, who is not led by fear, part 4, proposition 63, but who directly desires that which is good, part 4, proposition 63, corollary. In other words, part 4, proposition 24, who strives to act, to live, and to preserve his being on the basis of seeking his own true advantage. Wherefore, such a one thinks of nothing less than of death, but his wisdom is a meditation of life. Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition 68. If men were born free, they would, so long as they remained free, form no conception of good and evil. Proof. I call free 
him who is led solely by reason. He, therefore, who is born free and who remains free has only adequate ideas. Therefore, part 4, proposition 64, corollary, he has no conception of evil. Or, consequently, good and evil being correlative of good. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note, it is evident from part 4, proposition 4, that the hypothesis of this proposition is false and inconceivable, except in so far as we look solely to the nature of man, or rather to God, not in so far as the latter is infinite, but only in so far as he is the cause of man's existence. This, and other matters which we have already proved, seem to have been signified by Moses in the history of the first man. For in that narrative no other power of God is conceived, save that whereby he created man, that is, the power wherewith he provided solely for man's advantage. It is stated that God forbade man, being free, to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that, as soon as man should have eaten of it, he would straightway fear death rather than desire to live. Further, it is written that when man had found a wife who was in entire harmony with his nature, he knew that there could be nothing in nature which could be more useful to him, but that after he believed the beasts to be like himself, he straightway began to imitate their emotions. Part 3, Proposition 27, and to lose his freedom. This freedom was afterwards recovered by the patriarchs, led by the Spirit of Christ, that is, by the idea of God, whereon alone it depends that man may be free, and desire for others the good which he desires for himself, as we have shown above. Part 4, Proposition 37 Proposition 69 The virtue of a free man is seen to be as great when it declines dangers as when it overcomes them. Proof Emotion can only be checked or removed by an emotion contrary to itself and possessing more power in restraining emotion, part 4, proposition 7. But blind daring and fear are emotions, which can be conceived as equally great, part 4, proposition 5, and proposition 3. Hence, no less virtue or firmness is required in checking daring than in checking fear, part 3, proposition 59. Note. In other words, definition of the emotions, 40 and 41, the free man shows as much virtue when he declines dangers as when he strives to overcome them. Quod erat demonstrandum. Corollary. The free man is as courageous in timely retreat as in combat, or a free man shows equal courage or presence of mind whether he elect to give battle or to retreat. Note, what courage animositas is, and what I mean thereby, I explained in part 3, proposition 59, note, by danger I mean everything which can give rise to any evil, such as pain, hatred, discord, etc. Proposition 70. The free man who lives among the ignorant 
strives as far as he can to avoid receiving favours from them. Proof Everyone judges what is good according to his disposition. Part 3, Proposition 39, Note Wherefore, an ignorant man, who has conferred a benefit on another, puts his own estimate upon it, and, if it appears to be estimated less highly by the receiver, will feel pain. Part 3, Proposition 42 But the free man only desires to join other men to him in friendship. Part 4, Proposition 37 Not repaying their benefits with others reckoned as of like value, but guiding himself and others by the free decision of reason, and doing only such things as he knows to be of primary importance. Therefore the free man, lest he should become hateful to the ignorant or follow their desires rather than reason, will endeavour as far as he can to avoid receiving their favours. Note, I say as far as he can, for though men be ignorant, yet are they men, and in cases of necessity could afford us human aid, the most excellent of all things. Therefore it is often necessary to accept favours from them, and consequently to repay such favours in kind. We must therefore exercise caution in declining favours, lest we should have the appearance of despising those who bestow them, or of being from avaricious motives unwilling to requite them, and so give ground for offence by the very fact of striving to avoid it. Thus, in declining favours, we must look to the requirements of utility and courtesy. End of part four, proposition sixty six to seventy. Recording by OK.